Story 18 of L. M. Montgomery's Short Stories from 1902 to 1903. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Therese. Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, 1902 to 1903, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. The Romance of Aunt Beatrice. Margaret always maintains that it was a direct inspiration of Providence that took her across the street to see Aunt Beatrice that night, and Aunt Beatrice believes that it was too. But the truth of the matter is that Margaret was feeling very unhappy, and went over to talk to Aunt Beatrice as the only alternative to a fit of crying. Margaret's unhappiness has nothing further to do with this story, so it may be dismissed with the remark that it did not amount to much, in spite of Margaret's tragical attitude. It was dissipated at once and forever by the arrival of a certain missent letter the next day. Aunt Beatrice was alone. Her brother and his wife had gone to the at-home, which Mrs. Cunningham was giving that night, in honor of the Honorable John Reynolds, M.P. The children were upstairs in bed, and Aunt Beatrice was darning their stockings, a big basketful, of which loomed up aggressively on the table beside her. Or, to speak more correctly, she had been darning them. Just when Margaret was sliding across the icy street, Aunt Beatrice was bent forward in her chair, her hands over her face, while soft, shrinking little sobs shook her from head to foot. When Margaret's imperative knock came at the front door, Aunt Beatrice started guiltily, and wished earnestly that she had waited until she went to bed before crying, if cry she must. She knew Margaret's knock, and she did not want her gay young niece, of all people in the world, to suspect the fact or the cause of her tears. I hope she won't notice my eyes, she thought, as she hastily plumped the big, ugly, dark green shade, with an almond-eyed oriental leering from it over the lamp, before going out to let Margaret in. Margaret did not notice at first. She was too deeply absorbed in her own troubles to think that anyone else in the world could be miserable, too. She curled up in the deep, easy chair by the fire, and clasped her hands behind her curly head with a sigh of physical comfort and mental unhappiness while Aunt Beatrice, warily sitting with her back to the light, took up her work again. "'You didn't go to Mrs. Cunningham's at home, Auntie,' said Margaret lazily, feeling that she must make some conversation to justify her appearance. "'You were invited, weren't you?' Aunt Beatrice nodded. The hole she was darning in the knee of Willie Hayden's stocking must be done very carefully. Mrs. George Hayden was particular about such matters. Perhaps this was why Aunt Beatrice did not speak. "'Why didn't you go?' asked Margaret absently, wondering why there had been no letter for her that morning. And this was the third day, too. Could Gilbert be ill, or was he flirting with some other girl and forgetting her? Margaret swallowed a big lump in her throat, and resolved that she would go home next week. No, she wouldn't, either. If he was as hateful and fickle as that, what was Aunt Beatrice saying?' "'Well, I'm, I'm not used to going to parties now, my dear, and the truth is I have no dress fit to wear. At least Bella said so, because the party was to be a very fashionable affair. She said my old gray silk wouldn't do at all. Of course she knows. She had to have a new dress for it, and we couldn't both have that. George couldn't afford it these hard times. And as Bella said, it would be very foolish of me to get an expensive dress that would be no use to me afterward.' But it doesn't matter, and of course somebody had to stay with the children. 
of course assented margaret dreamily mrs cunningham's at home was of no particular interest the guests were all middle-aged people whom the m p had known in his boyhood and margaret in her presumptuous youth thought it would be a very prosy affair although it had made quite a sensation in quiet little murray bridge where people still called an at-home a party plain and simple i saw mr reynolds in church sunday afternoon she went on he is very fine-looking i think did you ever meet him i used to know him very well long ago answered aunt beatrice bowing still lower over her work he used to live down in wentworth you know and he visited his married sister here very often he was only a boy at that time then he went out to british columbia and and we never heard much more about him he's very rich and owns dozens of mines and railroads and things like that said margaret and he's a member of the dominion parliament too they say he's one of the foremost men in the house and came very near getting a portfolio in the new cabinet i like men like that they are so interesting wouldn't it be awfully nice and complimentary to have one of them in love with you is he married i-i don't know said aunt beatrice faintly i have never heard that he was there you've run the needle into your fingers said margaret sympathetically it's of no consequence said aunt beatrice hastily she wiped away the drop of blood and went on with her work margaret watched her dreamily what lovely hair aunt beatrice had it was so thick and glossy with warm bronze tones where the lamplight fell on it under that hideous weird old shade but aunt beatrice wore it in such an unbecoming way margaret idly wondered if she could comb her hair straight back and prim when she was thirty-five she thought it very probable if that letter did not come to-morrow from aunt beatrice's hair margaret's eyes fell to aunt beatrice's face she gave a little jump had aunt beatrice been crying margaret sat bolt upright aunt beatrice did you want to go to that party she demanded explosively now tell me the truth i did said aunt beatrice weakly margaret's sudden attack fairly startled the truth out of her it is very silly of me i know but i did want to go i didn't care about a new dress i'd have been quite willing to wear my gray silk and i could have fixed the sleeves what difference would it have made nobody would have ever noticed me but bella thought it wouldn't do she paused long enough to give a little sob which she could not repress margaret made use of the opportunity to exclaim violently it's a shame i suppose you don't understand why i wanted to go to this particular party so much went on aunt beatrice shyly i'll tell you why if you won't laugh at me i wanted to see john reynolds not to talk to him oh i dare say he wouldn't remember me but just to see him long ago fifteen years ago we were engaged and and i loved him so much then margaret you poor dear said margaret sympathetically she reached over and patted her aunt's hand she thought that this little bit of romance long hidden and unsuspected blossoming out under her eyes was charming in her interest she quite forgot her own pet grievance yes and then we quarrelled it was a dreadful quarrel and it was about such a trifle we parted in anger and he went away he never came back it was all my fault well it is all over long ago and everybody has forgotten i-i don't mind it now but i just wanted to see him once more and then come quietly away aunt beatrice you are going to that party yet said margaret decisively 
oh it is impossible my dear no it isn't nothing is impossible when i make up my mind you must go i'll drag you there by main force if it comes to that oh i have such a jolly plan auntie you know my black and yellow dinner dress no you don't either for i've never worn it here the folks at home all thought it was too severe for me and so it is nothing suits me but the fluffy chuffy things with a tilt to them gil er i mean well yes gilbert always declared that that dress made me look like a cross between an unwilling nun and a ballet girl so i took a dislike to it but it's as lovely as a dream oh when you see it your eyes will stick out you must wear it to-night it's just your style and i'm sure it will fit you for our figures are so much alike but it is too late tisn't it's not more than half an hour since uncle george and aunt bella went i'll have you ready in a twinkling but the fire and the children i'll stay here and look after both i won't burn the house down and if the twins wake up i'll give them what is it you give them soothing syrup so go at once and get you ready while i fly over for the dress i'll fix your hair up when i get back margaret was gone before aunt beatrice could speak again her niece's excitement seized hold of her too she flung the stockings into the basket and the basket into the closet i will go and i won't do another bit of darning to-night i hate it i hate it i hate it oh how much good it does me to say it when margaret came flying up the stairs aunt beatrice was ready save for hair and dress margaret cast the gown on the bed revealing all its beauty of jetted lace and soft yellow silk with a dexterous sweep of her arm aunt beatrice gave a little cry of admiration isn't it lovely demanded margaret and i brought you my opera cape and my fascinator and my black satin slippers with the cunningest gold buckles and some sweet pale yellow roses that uncle ned gave me yesterday oh aunt beatrice what magnificent arms and shoulders you have they're like marble mine are so scrawny i'm just ashamed to have people know they belong to me margaret's nimble fingers were keeping time with her tongue aunt beatrice's hair went up as if by magic into soft puffs and waves and twists and a golden rose was dropped among the bronze masses then the lovely dress was put on and pinned and looped and pulled until it fell into its simple classical lines around the tall curving figure margaret stepped back and clapped her hands admiringly oh auntie you're beautiful now i'll pop down for the cloak and fascinator i left them hanging by the fire when margaret had gone aunt beatrice caught up the lamp and tiptoed shamefacedly across the hall to the icy cold spare room in the long mirror she saw herself reflected from top to toe or was it herself could it be that gracious woman with the sweet eyes and flushed cheeks with rounded arms gleaming through their black laces and the cluster of roses nestling against the warm white flesh of the shoulder i do look nice she said aloud with a little curtsy to the radiant reflection it is all the dress i know i feel like a queen in it no like a girl again and that's better margaret went to mrs cunningham's door with her how i wish i could go in and see the sensation you'll make aunt beatrice she whispered you dear silly child it's just the purple and fine linen laughed aunt beatrice but she did not altogether think so and she rang the bell unquailingly in the hall mrs cunningham herself came beamingly to greet her my dear beatrice i'm so glad bella said you could not come because you had a headache my headache got quite better after they left and so i thought i would get ready and come even if it were rather late said beatrice glibly wondering if sapphira had ever worn a black and yellow dress 
and if so might not her historic falsehood be traced to its influence when they came downstairs together beatrice statuesque and erect in her trailing draperies and mrs cunningham secretly wondering where on earth beatrice hayden had got such a magnificent dress and what she had done to herself to make her look as she did a man came through the hall at the foot of the stairs they met he put out his hand beatrice it must be beatrice how little you have changed mrs cunningham was not particularly noted in murraybridge for her tact but she had a sudden visitation of the saving grace at that moment and left the two alone beatrice put her hand into the mp's i am glad to see you she said simply looking up at him she could not say that he had not changed for there was little in this tall broad-shouldered man of the world with grey glints in his hair to suggest the slim boyish lover whose image she had carried in her heart all the long years but the voice though deeper or mellower was the same in the thin clever mouth that went up at one corner and down at the other in a humorous twist and one little curl of reddish hair fell over his forehead away from its orderly fellows just as it used to when she had loved to poke her fingers through it and more than all the deep set gray eyes looking down into her blue ones were unchanged beatrice felt her heart beating to her fingertips i thought you were not coming he said i expected to meet you here and i was horribly disappointed i thought the bitterness of that foolish old quarrel must be strong enough to sway you yet didn't bella tell you i had a headache faltered beatrice bella oh your brother's wife i wasn't talking to her i've been sulking in corners ever since i concluded you were not coming how beautiful you are beatrice You'll let an old friend say that much, won't you? Beatrice laughed softly. She had forgotten for years that she was beautiful, but the sweet old knowledge had come back to her again. She could not help knowing that he spoke the simple truth, but she said mirthfully, You've learned to flatter since the old days, haven't you? Don't you remember you used to tell me I was too thin to be pretty? But I suppose a bit of blarney is a necessary ingredient in the composition of an M.P. He was still holding her hand, with a glance of dissatisfaction at the open parlor door, he drew her away to the little room at the end of the hall, which Mrs. Cunningham, for reasons known only to herself, called her library. "'Come in here with me,' he said masterfully. "'I want to have a long talk with you before the other people get hold of you.' When Beatrice got home from the party ten minutes before her brother and his wife, Margaret was sitting Turk-fashion in the big armchair, with her eyes very wide open and owlish. "'You dear girlie, were you asleep?' asked Aunt Beatrice indulgently. Margaret nodded. "'Yes, and I've let the fire go down. I hope you're not cold. I must run before Aunt Bella gets here, or she'll scold. Had a nice time?' "'Delightful. You were a dear to lend me this dress. It was so funny to see Bella staring at it.' When Margaret had put on her hand and jacket, she went as far as the street door, and then tiptoed back to the sitting-room. Aunt Beatrice was leaning back in the armchair, with the drooping rose held softly against her lips, gazing dreamily into the dull red embers. Auntie, said Margaret contritely, I can't go home without confessing. Although I know it is a heinous offense to interrupt the kind of musing that goes with dying embers and faded roses in the small hours, but it would weigh on my conscience all night if I didn't. I was asleep, but I wakened up just before you came in and went to the window. I didn't mean to spy upon anyone, but that street was bright as day, and if you will let an M.P. kiss you on the doorstep in glaring moonlight, you must expect to be seen. 
I wouldn't have cared if there had been a dozen onlookers, said Aunt Beatrice frankly, and I don't believe he would either. Margaret threw up her hands. Well, my conscience is clear at last. And remember, Aunt Beatrice, I'm to be bridesmaid. I insist upon that. And, oh, won't you ask me to visit you when you go down to Ottawa next winter? I'm told it's such a jolly place when the house is in session. And you'll need somebody to help you entertain, you know. The wife of a cabinet minister has to do lots of that. But I forgot, he isn't the cabinet minister yet. But he will be, of course. Promise that you'll have me, Aunt Beatrice. Promise quick. I hear Uncle George and Aunt Bella coming. Aunt Beatrice promised. Margaret flew to the door. You better keep that dress, she called back softly as she opened it. End of The Romance of Aunt Beatrice Recording by Maria Therese